All right. Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of worship. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Lord, for your strength as you strengthen us and encourage us. Thank you that we have an opportunity to see goodness in the land of the living. Otherwise, we would lose hope, Lord. Lord, this morning as we prepare our hearts now to receive the seed of your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to open our eyes and our ears, that we would be sensitive to the things of the Spirit this morning. I know you have something you want to say to us, Lord. I know we have a responsibility to hear correctly. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be humble and willing recipients of your word, that we would be willing to do your word, excited to see what you have for us, Lord. I pray for our congregation here, Lord. I pray a mighty blessing upon each and every one here. I pray that you would bless us with your presence and the fullness of joy that comes from your presence. And so now we look to you, God, the author and finisher of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Can you say hello to someone before you sit down? All right, everybody, come on in and have a seat. Hi, everybody at home. Can you say hi to the home people, you guys? They all say hi to you guys. All right. Well, good morning. I'm excited to uh, get into the Word with you this morning. In that light, if you have your Bibles, can you please take them out and turn to the book of Luke chapter 9. And uh, while you're doing that, just a couple announcements uh, this morning. We have our men's retreat coming up this Saturday, so just would ask for all of your prayers for that. Ask that uh, there would be breakthrough and that the men of our church would have an opportunity to just surrender whatever it is the Lord is working on their heart in. I know just just a chance to, to be away for a short amount of time from our normal routine. Routines is a big deal. And uh, you can sense just a, a deep need for men to get away from their normal routines and hear from the Lord. And that's what I just ask for your prayers for as we uh, go to be away with the men um, this weekend, so Saturday. So uh, also uh, this week we have uh, women's ministry uh, tomorrow night here in the sanctuary at 7 o'clock, um, Simplicity uh, Men's Discipleship Group Tuesday night, uh, 7 o'clock in room 1085 right down the walkway there. We have our Wednesday night uh, all-church Bible study. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We made it about halfway through, so Lord willing, we'll be finished the rest of 10 and uh, on into 11. And the reason I tell you that every week is so you read ahead. Because it's very helpful to have already read what we're going to read and have it fresh in your mind when we go and study it. And um, men's, uh, men's ministry is, uh, of course, uh, Saturday morning. And uh, we've announced and have upcoming our big event here at the Sanctuary, Chile, with the chaplains. And it's part of the Flower Mound Police Department's desire to reach out to the communities of faith. And um, so we're going to host that event. It's October 7th here at the church, and it's from 11 to 1. And basically all you need to do is show up and be nice to the police. So we want to be a church that supports our police officers. We have a great police department, and um, I know many of those police officers and some of them love the Lord. The chief loves the Lord and is a believer. And so we're very fortunate. We have one of the safest cities, been voted one of the safest cities uh, in America um, several times. So we're very fortunate 
to live like that. So we want to support them. So that's October 7th, so keep that in prayer. Anyway, let us move on into uh, our section of Scripture this morning in Luke chapter 9. I hope you all have your Bibles in front of you. So now what we're doing as we follow the narrative of Luke is we're watching Jesus in chapter 9. It sort of changes a little bit. He's passing the torch to his disciples. So when Jesus initially came, it was him doing the work. And as he did the work, he would call others to follow him and watch him do the work and also just support him. And as he was doing that, there was a lot that he was teaching the disciples. As he called the disciples, the disciples started following him. There are others, of course. And when I say disciples, the word disciple just mean, means learners. So he had a large group of people that you may consider disciples, but not all of them were particularly interested in surrendering their life and walking by faith and trusting in him for their salvation. But he narrowed down the multitude of disciples into 12 disciples whom he began to really pour his life into because they would be the ones that would take his work and continue his work when he rose again from the dead and then ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father. So what he would do with his disciples is he would teach them verbally, but he'd also teach them visibly so they would be able to see what he was doing. So those two elements were important. He would say something, but then he would do something to support what he was doing. And you might remember as he was doing that, he was uh, doing many miracles that would demonstrate who he was. So that was the the reason he was doing those, because he wanted the disciples to really realize and have confidence in who he was. And they were kind of a work in progress in understanding fully who he was and devoting themselves totally to who he was. And so you, you see him doing miracles to express, one, their insufficiencies in their understanding of who he was, and then also to demonstrate fully and completely who he was as God who came to the earth as a man. And because of that, he had no limitations in his abilities, in his power, in the things that he could do. And so he would heal sick people that people thought were going to die. He would raise the dead. He would receive worship and say from the one he was receiving worship that her sins are forgiven. Only God could say that. He would calm the storm immediately. And the disciples would, when he did that, they would say, who is this person? Demonstrating that they didn't fully understand the ramifications of who this was in front of them. And they realized the power that he had to stop the waves, but then, and the wind, and power over nature. And then he he goes to the other side, and there's a demon-possessed man. And he casts multitude, legions of demons out of that demon-possessed man. And, And they realize that now he has power over demons. He has power over sickness. He has power over nature. And so they begin to realize this. They are are coming in contact with the reality of who this is in front of them. And now in chapter 9, with all that teaching and all that instruction, then he gives them a small little torch to take out. And it's interesting because as he passes the, the torch, it's just sort of like a mini missions trip. So he doesn't just completely launch them out, but you, you can see him slowly developing them and saying, 
okay, there, there's a certain time. Now you ha- actually have to go and do the things that you're learning from me. So now as we get into this particular section, it brings to mind something that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. He said, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some, and this I do for the gospel's sake. So this is the Apostle Paul as he's in the act of going through his missionary outreaches and journeys as he's writing to the church at Corinth that he established from writing from Ephesus where he is working on establishing another church. And he's saying his philosophy is that he will do anything for all men for the gospel's sake. In other words, he was very clear and resolute about his purpose of why he's here on earth, and he was willing to do anything and everything for that purpose. He was completely sold out, completely devoted to this one thing. And what was the one thing? It was the gospel. So then the question is, was that just for Paul? Was that like a, a Pauline thing? Was that So he had a special calling? Well, in a sense, yes, he did have a special, unique calling, But then there's a a general calling for every believer that we are also a part of, and that also includes us. But if you think about Paul's dedication, that is the same dedication that God is asking every believer in Jesus Christ to have for the gospel. So you think, why would Paul, why would he be willing to go through so much? Well, if you really think about it, if the gospel is true, then what would you be willing to go through if you're a believer, knowing that you have the answer to the only answer to a person that is lost in their sins and the Bible says dead in their trespasses of sins. And they're in that condition with no hope or no way out and you have the answer. The only answer. So, because of that, that's why Paul would, as he said in 2 Corinthians 11.23, that's why he was willing to go through labors more abundant, stripes above measure, prisons more frequently, deaths more often, from the Jews, five times he received 40 stripes minus one, 39 stripes. He three times was beaten with rods. He was stoned one time. Three times he was shipwrecked. He was stranded in the middle of the ocean night and day. His life consisted of journeys often. He was in danger of robbers, in danger of his own countrymen, in danger of Gentiles. He was in danger in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, uh, from false brethren. Um, He was constantly tired. He experienced sleeplessness, hunger, thirst, uh, cold, and nakedness. And above all that, a deep concern for the church. So you, you just have to ask yourself, why would he do that? It must mean, or there must be something that he understood that would motivate him to be willing to go through those things because he saw it as significant and more important than the things that he might suffer from those things. And that is the gospel. 
That is the message that God has given to first the disciples and then to the church. And that continues on today. That because this is of eternal significance, because people's eternal destiny is at stake, because we hold the key in the gospel to free people from their spiritual prison of spiritual death and emptiness and despair, and also to give them the ability to receive forgiveness of their sins, then I would declare that we too should be willing to do whatever, whenever, to win those who are lost. I mean, why would the disciples, all the disciples who followed Jesus, why would they all go and share this message and see that as a priority in all of them except for John? And of course, Judas, we won't count, but all of them suffered from being martyrs, killed for their faith. Why would they do that? They must have known and experienced and believe that there is something that is so important and so lofty and so great that they would be willing to give their whole life for that. So was it just them? Were these a group of superheroes we find in the Bible that are just, they're just called to that? Or, or maybe Paul was just called to that? Or well, what about if you read some church history? What about Hudson Taylor who left England and left everything to go reach the people in China? What about Jim Elliott who went uh, to Bible college at Wheaton College in Chicago and was so gifted at, at preaching and pastoring that everyone said, hey, why don't you start a church? Shouldn't that be what you should be doing? And he said, I'm called to preach the gospel to those who have never heard it. And he left behind the opportunity for ministry in the States to go reach the Alka Indian population in the Amazon. And he lost his life at 33 years old because of that. But what would cause his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, to go back to those same people who killed her husband to preach the gospel because it's so important? What would cause Vincent and Melissa to be in Uganda? What would cause Melissa, who's from Southern California and uh, from a, a well-to-do family, to leave all that to live in Uganda and go through constant bouts of malaria and constant bouts of sickness and a spiritual attack. What would cause her to do that? There must be some reason. Is it money? Well, they're going to be here pretty soon and she'll tell you it's not money. (laughs) What would cause Brian and Sophia, Brian who was just here recently, Sophia was here, what would cause them to just recently go back just like a few weeks ago, to Haiti when there are people being kidnapped all over. It's one of the most, if not the most dangerous place on the planet. It's the gospel. And I think the church has lost that. I think in general the church here has gotten to where we're mainly focused on our in-house concerns than we are about the lost world outside. So there has to be something to this. There has to be some, something that triggers in our mind that, that as we read our Bible, that church has to be more than a one hour, or maybe in my case, a little longer experience on Sunday morning in the walls of the church. It has to be more than that. So this is what confronts us this morning. The spreading of the gospel. From the time that the gospel went out, and by the way, the gospel just literally means the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you can have eternal life, that your sins that separate you from God and that damn you to hell can be forgiven. But this message has gone out from the beginning and it's never been able to be stopped. Why? 
because it's God's message and God's message done in God's way will not lack God's supply. Hudson Taylor said that. With so many attacks on Christianity, with so many uh, in the beginning of the church, the martyrs of the church, all the disciples except for John were killed for their faith. Uh, And from that, uh, thousands of years of persecution of the church from the Roman Empire, Christians were slaughtered. They were uh, brought out to lions to be uh, sport, to be killed in front of the clapping populations. Um, from that time, and it continues to today, that Christians are being killed all over the world. But it can't be stopped. It can't be stopped because it's the work of the Lord. So what does that mean for us? The gospel is everything for us. That is our reason and purpose for existing on earth. It's not just for Paul. It's not just for the disciples. It's not just for those special characters we read about and applaud, like one of my favorites, Hudson Taylor. There's many others. But Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Get this. He says, as though God were pleading through us. So that doesn't sound real casual and laid back to me. So think about if the God of all the universe is pleading through people to other people. What is it? Pleading's not casual. If God is pleading through every one of us to other people, then how serious is this? Is this just a possible check on a multiple choice exam? And if you choose A, it's just as good as if you choose B, C, or D, or all the above. If God is pleading through us, then he must know something about this message that's so urgent and so important. He's pleading through us. That scripture continues on. He says, we implore you. So does that sound casual? Pleading, imploring. You can look up imploring. I didn't look it up before today, but it sounds like really intense. (laughs) Implore. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. So that's that's what we do. God pleads through us, and we're being implored that we would call people to be reconciled, to be put back together with. That's what it means, to be put back together with. Reconciled. And then here's the gospel. You ready? Here it is. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. This is it. For he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin. For us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. That we can be righteous because Christ, who was righteous, came and sacrificed himself on the cross, or the Father was allowing him to be sacrificed on the cross for our sin. So now we can have his righteousness and he gets our unrighteousness. And this was the message that was so important. This is the message that consumed the disciples and consumed Paul 
And you may say, well, that was just like an old thing. The whole, you're here at Calvary Chapel because God did a work of putting that same emphasis on the heart of many other young hippie people. If you were around in those days, you would always run into somebody t- telling you the gospel or telling you about Jesus or telling you you need to be right with Jesus. And so that continues on today. And so this is what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 9. So as we sort of look at this a little more closely, we're going to look at three particular things about spreading the gospel. One is being called to do that. Two is the conflict. And three is the challenge. So watch what happens. It says, in verse 9, verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, Then he, Jesus, he called the twelve disciples. He called them together, and then he did something. So remember, this is after Jesus has been teaching them and demonstrating to them. So they're following him, he's teaching them, they're demonstrating, and their lack of understanding is continually getting better and improving. And then there comes a time where we're called. So this is what we call the, the calling. So the neat thing about being a believer is that God has a calling on our life. Have you ever heard that before? A calling. So that means that God chooses us. So there's a a general calling that we're all called, say, to be ambassadors of Christ. But then God has a specific calling for each individual. How do we know that? Well, like the disciples, just keep following him and you will discover what your specific calling is. But It initially comes by a willingness to yield yourself to God's will. And if you haven't done that, then you're going to have a hard time finding your calling. Now, God doesn't call everybody just to be in a sort of full-time ministry or a missionary or a pastor or whatever those things. He doesn't call everybody to do those specific things, but he calls everybody in a way that wherever or however God has wired them and equipped them and made them that wherever they are, he has positioned them to be a missionary in that particular place. So that means we, we can do other things. and We do do other things, but those other things are not what we live for. Those other things are vehicles or avenues to do what God has called us to do, and that's be ambassadors. This calling is, it's huge, it's important. It's important that we understand that God does have a calling. And it's not up to us to just randomly go around life, bumping around, trying to just do certain things without asking God, so God, what is it that you have for me? And allow God to mold and shape that and bring that to fruition. For the disciples, it was their willingness to follow Jesus. And the test that they had tested their resolve to keep following Jesus when they had a chance to retreat or go back or quit. But they kept following him. And now we see the specific calling sort of taking effect. So as he, he calls them together. So this is the 12, not the big group of people. And notice what he does. This is very important to see. He calls them together and then he gives. He gave them something. So whenever God calls us to do something, he gives us the ability to accomplish what he called us to do. It does seem in this text that the giving happens when we are called. So that means that you may be sitting here this morning and and saying, 
man, I never want to go to Haiti. I never want to go to Uganda. I never want to go to San Antonio with Brian and Dixie and minister to those troubled youth young ladies. I don't want to do that. But the thing is, don't worry about that. Because when God calls you, he'll give you what you need. And there are a lot of things I look at and say, man, I wouldn't want to do that. But I know if I was called to do that, then God would give me what I needed for that calling. And part of that is a desire for it. So we actually have a desire for it. But we have to be willing, we have to be open and say, Lord, what is it that you have for me? Help, help me to be sensitive and aware. And, and as God works in our life, right where we are, to develop us right where we are, then there comes times when that calling gets more specific. And that calling then is uh, then the enabling. So he gave them what? What did he give them? He gave them power. So that means that they would not be able to do what they were called to do. They wouldn't be able to do it unless God gave them something that they didn't have. You see that? So they had to be given something that they didn't have. That means that they didn't have the ability to go and be effective in their calling until God gave them that thing. Very similar to Pentecost and the disciples. And they were told uh, by Jesus, don't go until the Holy Spirit has come upon you to empower you. And so when God calls us, then he empowers us or he enables us. And one of the things that I hear a lot when someone's sort of getting nudged a little deeper into ministry or serving or something like that, I can't do that, that kind of thing. There's no way I could do that. And if you're saying that, that's actually good because you're right. You can't do it. But don't stop there. If you can't do it, know that God will do it through you, and it's even better that way because it's now God working in you and through you, empowering you to do things that you can't do on your own. And then it is sort of like this amazing experience of seeing the supernatural aspect of God working through your life and you feel like a spectator watching God work the things in your life that you know are not of you. And so the biggest thing that we need for whatever it is, whatever God may be nudging us into, pushing us forward into, it has to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. It has to be done with the strength that he gives us and cannot be done in any other way. Otherwise, it's just a work of the flesh and not work of the Spirit. A work of the flesh is a work that doesn't build the kingdom of God. It can build man's kingdom, but won't build the kingdom of God. And it says that as he called them together, he gave them power and authority, notice, over. So now they have something that God gave them that's bigger than the biggest things that might stop them. Here it's pointed out, demons and then power to cure diseases. The point in, in, in that is that, that God endows us with the supernatural abilities that are greater than any of the potential obstacles that may get in our way and may stop us. We just have to be available and willing. And as we're available and willing, then we get power, and the power is such that we cannot be stopped. So that means when you're called by God and walk in that calling, you cannot be stopped. Because it is God who is working in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. Through man we can do nothing, but with God all things are possible. In this case he's saying, I'm going to give you power over demons, a power to cure diseases. That's what they needed. If you are open to go to the mission field and you're praying and 
you're saying, Lord, do you want me to do that? And say God says, go spend some time with Vincent and Melissa in Uganda. When you go, you'll get the power. You may get the power to heal somebody from a disease if you need that. If that fulfills the purpose of why you're called out there. Whatever it may be. The thing is, we don't have to worry about being inadequate or insufficient because our sufficiency is in Christ. So the calling brings about the giving, and that giving is a giving that is over and above anything that may stop us. But look in verse 2. Then it says, He sent them. There has to be that part. We can't live in an incubator and develop in a place like this without there being ascending. So does does God just fill me with wisdom and understanding and empower me with the Holy Spirit just so I can live my own life correctly? Well, that's part of it, but it's not all of it. God does that. We sit here, we learn, we worship God, we grow in grace, we grow in our knowledge of God, we grow in our communion and fellowship with God and our intimacy with God. And as we do that, He does that because He wants to send us. He wants to take what happens here and He wants us to take that out there. So he sends them. And their particular mission was to preach. So he he sent them to do something because they were called. He empowered them, gave them supernatural ability, and now he tells them what to do. So this is a beautiful thing. When we go according to God's plan and will, as we go, he'll tell us what to do. And I remember God calling me out to Texas and thinking to myself, how does this work? What, is, what are we going to do? How is this going to become what you want it to be? What's the blueprint? What's the plan? And God just really impressed on my heart to just go and do what you're called to do and I'll do the rest. So this is, you're a testimony of that. So this is proof and evidence because it's definitely nothing of me and my abilities and my talents. It's despite my abilities and my talents and all of the people who have really given their lives to serve this church and to build up this church for the gospel's sake. So he sends them, he tells them what to do. He says, and notice the emphasis on preaching. That's just communicating the message of the gospel. And then he says to heal the sick. And in verse 3, and he said to them, take nothing for the journey. Neither staff, so a walking stick sort of thing, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics apiece. So they're just like clothing. Like just wear the clothing that you have on. But isn't that interesting? He said, don't bring money. And isn't that the thing we initially generally think? Like, okay, I'll I'll go and serve the Lord somewhere, but I got to have money to do that. So I'm going to wait, I'm going to open a GoFundMe account, and I'm going to raise the money and go. Why does does the Lord say, hey, go, and don't take anything? Take what you need, the absolute base needs, and just go. It's because he has taught them and now is wanting them to walk in what he's taught them, and that's being dependent and living by faith on him, in him. 
And it's possible when they, if they, had, they were to have more resources, the resources would have taken the place of the Holy Spirit. And that's what often happens. When we don't have a lot, what do we do? We pray. When we have a lot, we're less likely to pray or depend on God. It's just a reality. So he tells them, look, go. Don't take all this stuff. Walk in faith. Let me guide and direct you, and I'll take care of you. I'll be your provision. And then he says in verse 4, he says, whatever house you enter, stay there. So if you go to a town and someone receives you into their house, which be fairly common in those days because they didn't have hotels and things like that. So when travelers would go through, there would be people that would let them stay at their house. That'd be very common. If they let you stay there, stay there until it's time to go or until you depart. Look at verse 5. Whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. What does that mean? Why were they to, to go, and if somebody wouldn't let you stay, you're to do this little procedure where you shake off the dust? Well, the reason they did that, because that's what the Pharisees would do. When they would get near a Gentile, someone who wasn't a Pharisee, they would knock the dust off their feet, indicating that they don't want to have anything or any part of the Gentiles or people who weren't, weren't Jews. So why was he telling the disciples to do that? Because it was a way for them to demonstrate to people who would know what that means that, in a way, the, the dust is on their hands, on the people who are rejecting them. It's a way for them to say, look, we came with a message of eternal life and you rejected it. And this, that's your responsibility now. What does this tell us? It tells us that we should not nor need to beg people to be saved. Our job is to share the gospel. And through our personality and, you know, whatever intensity or what have you it may be. But the thing is, we don't sell the gospel to people. What we do is out of love, we tell them that they can be saved and forgiven of their sins like we were. And that Jesus is the only way. And... We allow God to work by the Holy Spirit that message of the gospel into the hearts of the people. But that doesn't mean that we have to forcefully try to convince people that they need to accept or receive the gospel. So our job is to simply spread the seed of the gospel as much as possible. And it's interesting because if someone rejects it, the harder the rejection usually means the more that their conscience is affected by the message. If someone has a completely dull reaction, unaffected by it, it doesn't bother them whatsoever, then that's someone who is completely dead and hard-hearted to, this, to the extent where now their conscience is seared. It doesn't mean we give up. It just means to recognize that someone who reacts the most, maybe in anger or pushback, is usually the one whose conscience is being affected the most. If there is a pack of wolves outside and I threw a rock 
you would know which one I hit by the one who what? Yells the loudest. And so don't be discouraged in your sharing of the gospel. But look at verse 6. So here's the action. So they departed and they went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So as they go, they're obedient to the Lord and this spiritual activity of heaven now is working through these individuals' lives to affect other people for the gospel's sake. There's the power of heaven working through these disciples. There's the smile of God as they share the gospel with people. There's all the angels of heaven rejoicing when one seed of that gospel hits the good soil of one of those people's hearts and they become born again and their sins are washed away and they have new life in Christ. Heaven is breaking out in joy and rejoicing. And so, for my pilot friends here, we're going to land this plane right here. And we're going to continue this next week. So then the question is, okay, what do I do? What do I do with all this? I'm getting it, I'm seeing it. And I just want to say two things. First thing, dedicate yourself to praying for the lost and praying, you got to get this, pray that God will use you to share Christ with the lost. And I'm saying dedicate yourself to that. And then the second thing, as you're praying, be ready because God will answer your prayer. Be aware of where God may be working in these interactions and encounters that you have. And you don't have to be Jay Warner Wallace. You just have to tell them they can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Just tell them how you were saved. So pray. And be ready. Pray and be ready. Because I'm telling you right now, God is going to use you to change a person's eternal destiny through the message of the gospel. The Bible says the fields are white, meaning they're ripe and ready for the harvest. And there are people that need Jesus desperately. You all, at one time, if you are a believer, needed Jesus desperately. Imagine if no one told you about Jesus. Where would you be now? And there is someone like you and someone like me that needs to hear Jesus Christ died for your sins. And this is why we are here. 
So it's time for the church to be equipped and ready and make this our life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, I pray as we look at these scriptures that just now you would impress upon our heart once again the urgency, the need that you would impress upon our heart, Lord, that you will work in us and through us to bring people to salvation. I pray now, Lord, for anybody that is here that has never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I want to take this opportunity now, and I want you to know that Jesus sees you. He loves you so much. You can't even fathom how much God loves you. But he showed you how much he loves you by coming and dying on the cross for your sins. And he's reaching out to you now. And he's saying, come to me. Come to me. If you're tired, if you're confused, if you're full of anxiety and discouragement and depression, he's saying right now, come to me. Receive me. Put your faith in me now. And I will forgive you of your sins. I will wipe them away. And I will fill you to the full, the abundance of heaven. I just ask you, beg of you to do that now. Cry out to God and say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Do that now and do not wait. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and we're going to have our prayer team up front. If anyone would like prayer about anything this morning, as we sing this last song, just feel free to come up and pray. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. If this morning you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you just did that, then as we sing this last song, just come forward and let them pray for you. They're here to pray for anything that you need prayer about. And so for the rest of us, let's just thank the Lord for our salvation and let's rejoice in Him and pour out our hearts to Him. So God bless you guys.